This is the Evolution Exchange podcast, a platform that brings the Nordic tech community together. My name is Sean Hughes. I connect businesses with freelance tech solutions, and I'm your host. Another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, I'm joined by Nicole, Maria, Urban, Xenia, and Nicholas to discuss the topic of building a robust team and a successful product through diversification. Before we delve into the topic, let's work our way. Maria, do you want to kick us off? Yes. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Maria, Maria Itzu. I'm originally from Italy, uh, but I have been living in Sweden now for almost, oh, more actually than eight years. And uh, I've been uh, I've been in a lot of different roles in a lot of different companies, but in the past I'd say half of my career, I have been focusing on product leadership. I've been working at companies such as Airbnb, Sheepstead, uh, iSettle, that's now known as Settled by PayPal, and then Acast, and today I'm CPO at Economy. I love traveling, and in fact, I am not in Sweden today. I'm in Italy, and I think you can tell by the sunlight that's coming from the side. And yeah, that's me in a, in a nutshell. Thank you very much. Xenia, I'm going to come to you next. Hi, I'm Xenia. I'm uh, the user research lead at a company called Cree. We are a European um, healthcare digital company, and we operate in several countries in Europe, including Sweden. And my background is actually in social sciences and conflict resolution, uh, but I moved from sort of policy work in academia to tech about five years ago, and I lead. Uh, uh, team focused on the patient experience at Create Lately. Perfect. Nicholas? Yeah. Hi, everyone. Uh, yes, my name is uh, Nicholas Johnson, and uh, I'm currently working as a product owner at a company called uh, Cinch, who works with, uh, you could say, SMS conversations and uh, rich messaging. And uh, I have a background as a developer for almost 15 years in uh, various languages. So, yeah, that's me. Perfect. Urban, do you want to tell us about yourself? Yes. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Urban Björn. Uh, I am an economist from the start. I have uh, been all my professional life in banking and finance. Uh, and I worked 25 years actually in investment banking side. Uh, but I've also switched career uh, for a couple of years ago into HR. So I was head of HR for a couple of years. And then I, uh, 2018, I uh, was head of diversity and inclusion for one of the largest Nordic banks. And uh, after a year or a year and a half there, I realized that uh, I would like to do this outside as well. So now since one and a half year, I work with companies who would like to, well, get the full business potential of uh, gender equality and, and diversity and inclusion. Really interesting. Nicole, last but not least. Yes, hi, I'm Nicole. Um, I am a product manager at Nent Group. I currently am responsible for a team that is uh, heading up the production of Wirefree streaming service. Uh, we have been in charge of the entire service for the last year and a half, um, but I've been working for them for about three years now. Before that, I 
spent about 20 plus years working as design and uh, UX and uh, product design. And at one point I just decided that I also wanted to change careers and start working on a product level and building teams. So that's kind of been my passion for the last three years. And yeah, that's basically where I am at right now. Fantastic, thank you. Now that we've uh, established a contact context context to each of you let's move on to the topic in focus that we'll be talking about today um, you have all come to this recording session with a question or statement on the topic of building a robust team and a successful product through diversification so as usual i'll work around the room asking each of you to pose your question and the reasons behind it each of you will have the opportunity to give your take on the situation um, and then we'll we'll go back to the original question asker for their final thoughts, if you like. So we're going to start with Nicholas today, who asks, what can companies do to tear down the walls between different departments and make sure all employees work as one team? Can you colour a little bit of the context behind where that that question has come from, Nicholas? Yes, of course. Uh, since I'm I'm working mostly uh, in the tech companies, and uh, as you. My experience is that you can build very, very strong teams within the engineering side of companies, but they're getting a little bit too strong. So they almost see other teams inside a company as the enemy. So uh, it's it's not like they're seeing the best for the company, you're seeing the best for themselves. So sometimes you need to make sure that all teams put on the common hat for that company and make sure that they can deliver the common goal for the company instead of just for that particular team. And this is something I've seen for many years that you just look at your own backyard and not uh, for the best of uh, the whole organization. So, yeah, my question is, how can we make sure that uh, teams can work better together? Um, I think this is something that has to come from the top down uh, to, to implement it in the correct way. But yeah, I'm really eager to hear, to, to want to hear what you have to say about it. It's a really good question, Nicholas, um, and I'm going to go to Maria first, um, given her um, experience in, in product leadership. Uh, what are your thoughts on this, Maria? Yes, well, it's a, it's a, it's a very good question, so the one that, that Nicholas um, asked. And, well, specifically, uh, when it comes to diversity, I do, I do, read a lot. I, I have been very much involved in diversity activities all across the companies I've been working at. Specifically, um, when I was at ISAP, we were, uh, it, was, it was a really, really felt uh, topic, I'd say. And some of research I've been uh, reading upon, and the one that stuck with me the most was about um, the difference between diversity as ticking a box and diversity as instead um, a means to leverage uh, innovation or as, as an asset for for leveraging innovation in a company. And there was a specific research that I read about in 2013 um, that was published in the, um, in the Harvard Business Review, uh, where they were saying they surveyed about like 2000 professionals, I believe, and they identified two types of diversity. There was inherent diversity and acquired diversity. And I do think that what makes a difference between just sticking a box and really investing in diversity because you, you, you want to make sure that you can embrace that kind of point of view that helps you serve all of your customers, no matter, especially for a global company, that's absolutely necessary. 
Um, the difference between the two types of diversities is that if you only focus on one, so either inherent, and we'll get to what each means, if you focus on either just inherent uh, diversity or just acquired diversity, you will definitely not get the 360-degree view on diversity that you actually do need for fueling innovation. The difference between these two types of diversity are that inherent diversity are diversity traits that a person is born with. So say gender, um, uh, you know, the color of your skin, uh, the geography where you're born or your sexual preferences. Um, when it comes instead to acquired diversity, it's traits that you instead gain from experience. So say you have been uh, working in a company that deals with specific problems of specific minorities, I don't know, of women or uh, people of color or uh, children or whatnot. And then um, that's, that's the kind of insight that a company can gain um, a lot from because of that specific type of uh, skill set that the person um, has. And what is important in, in having diversity, you can leverage not just to say, yeah, we got diversity, we, we're following a diversity program, but actually use it uh, to your advantage as a company and to make the world also a better place is that uh, you have to have a combo of these two uh, types of diversity. You have to the good, the best leaders are the ones that, that possess at least three traits of inherent and three traits of acquired diversity, according to this research. And based on their findings, um, they, they, they say that basically 45% um, of the companies that have been surveyed report that they have had um, they are likelier to, to, uh, to, import, to report an increased market share and also 70% uh, more likely to capture a new market thanks to diversity. Because if you have really diverse teams, so people that not only come from different backgrounds and only have different genders, but also think differently, you can see, you can cater for those specific markets, for those undeserved parts of the market that you with, with your own experience might not be able to see. And I can continue, as you said before, uh, you know, to talk for hours about this, but maybe I'll, I'll stop for now and maybe we can, we can continue later on, on this specific question. No, it's a, it's a fantastic point. I think um, both of those, for me at least, those those two questions there on the walls being put up between different departments and teams, um, and how company cultures can can lend themselves to to filling a quota in order to um, in in order to to tick a box and to satisfy something rather than rather than promoting diversity and inclusion for innovation. Um, I think they, they sort of go, go hand in hand for me um, and Urban, I think I'm really interested in hearing uh, your perspective on, on both of these questions in so much as, as your experience of those walls that are set up in companies and those quotas that are set up in companies. So from your experience, what's your take on, on these two areas of, of diversity and inclusion? No, I think, first of all, Niklas' uh, question here, I, I think it's uh, very common that in, in uh, larger companies you have a polarization, which could be uh, traditional business models to new digital business models, and those two kinds of, of groups are, uh, it could be a widened gap between them, and that doesn't take that company forward, actually. So I, I agree about that, but I think that the, the answer on that is probably that we need leaders who are more 
aware of the, this and, and don't allow this polarization to, to, to take place because polarization is, is a disaster for, for a company in many ways, I think. Uh, and Maria, I would like to see that uh, you have to send me that, that uh, study. I'd like to see that because that's, that's much, uh, very much of what I can see when I, I uh, meet management teams and discuss this. There, there is, a, there is a, you can say, the focus are m m too much about diversity. And uh, I can mention one company, but not by name. They came to me and they say that, you know, Urban, we have 100 nationalities in our company. Uh, the problem for us is that uh, everyone thinks we are, are home safe uh, when it comes to diversity. But the problem was that uh, the, we, we, have, uh, we have a problem because it's all white in the head office. And what they meant was that the, the whole diversity part in this company that they were so proud of was only on the lo lowest degree on, on the type of, of jobs and, and the, the kind of jobs. So uh, the potential of diversity and the effects of diversity, they, they didn't reach any of that because the people who were actually um, were, were, were uh, meant as the diversity in the company, they were not on management teams, not in project groups, not in business development groups and product development groups. So they didn't have any effect of their great diversity. And they, what, what is missing? It's, of course, it's inclusion that's missing. So we talk too much about diversity and too little about inclusion. Because if we have inclusion, those people would have taken their career inside this company and make sure that they would have been on the right positions to have the effects. But this company have real problems with hinders and barriers that uh, were, were, well, people were stuck on the lowest grade. So, so that's actually my question. Why are we focusing so much on diversity? And if I can continue, uh, I can see, I mean, large, uh, well-established uh, companies in Sweden who are actually bragging about now we are actually measuring nationalities. Aren't we great? I mean, that's the lowest level of diversity. So uh, it makes me a little bit sad when I see companies who attack this, this uh, uh, issue in, in a very wrong direction, I think. Absolutely. I think some fantastic points there um, and your experience of, of what you do now covers that extremely nicely. Xenia, I'm really, really curious as to, to where you stand on this. What are your thoughts? I think it's really interesting, the connection between these three sort of questions slash positions. Um, from on the silo perspective uh, that Nicholas mentioned, um, to me, there, there are two things I'm thinking there. One is the importance of having a clear vision that folks buy into, a common vision, a shared vision. Um, and I feel like that is an area where leadership often sort of falters. You know, having a reliable vision that people really believe in. Um, and then, and I was listening to a podcast about this the other day around, you know, what is sort of, the notion of integration, right? Integration between teams, integration between silos and so on. But a really important element of integration is the recognition of the difference. So we had this tendency to say, well, let's all collaborate, right? But 
collaboration also kind of implies that we understand how we're different, that we have some different sort of interests and ways of working, and that we find a way to respect those. Um, and I think that that's sort of those two things I was thinking about that your question, Nicholas, and and connecting that very much to what Maria is saying around innovation, uh, that it's it to me when, when we show up when we allow people to show up and be who they are fully uh, in all their glory. Um, we really kind of open up an opportunity for people to contribute in a more deeper way um, and, and know how it is that they can be included and talk about inclusion, right? Um, and my reflection on why are we focusing on diversity versus alone? I think diversity is incredibly important. I think it is still important to say we want to see a certain amount of women, we want to see a certain amount of people of color and people with different gender identifications. And not only do we want to see them, we want to see them statistically represented in different roles. Um, and uh, that is super, super important. But I think what is really profound about what you're saying, Urban, is that once they're there, then the real work begins, right? Of how to actually integrate with these new perspectives, as opposed to, I mean, I've, I've been sort of a lifelong immigrant myself. Uh, and, um, I've always found that there is this like sort of um, expectation that the, the different person should have accommodate the mainstream culture and learn how to live in it versus sort of an integration of, of all these cultures together or melding and so on. So I think that's very, very profound. And I think the reason why we're over-indexing for statistics is just because it's simpler, quite frankly, and it requires better leadership and more sophisticated leadership to do the latter, which you're suggesting, which is absolutely important. Yeah. I think that ties in really nicely with, with the question that, that Nicole has brought to today's meeting. I'm gonna ask you, Nicole, obviously on, on Nicholas's question too. But I'd also like to sort of pose yours, your own question to you yeah. in answer to Nicholas's and, and and sort of bouncing off what Xenia's just said there on on the ways in which we can companies can create a more diverse work culture uh, by breaking down these walls. What exactly. do you think? No, I think a lot of these questions boil down to um, walking the walk and talking the talk. I feel like it's so very easy to put this is our value up on a billboard and say this is what we stand for but it's not until you get into the everyday and it really has to be on an everyday level that it has to be part of your dna as a company that allows people the freedom to feel like this is a safe space for me i can be myself i am welcome to be myself and not only that but i'm being mentored uh, not just from a granular level to be like for personal um, uh, improvements or whatever goals I have, but I'm also encouraged to seek out leadership roles and how do I get there? And, and I feel like, you know, to get to that space, you have to be inclusive. You can't just say we're a diverse company. Great. You have a lot of diversion in your team, but there is diversion within your teams. So how do you, get back to the place where everyone feels included and that's called inclusion so i think that you're right on the money there urban and it feels really inspiring to hear that so my question is 
what are some of the smaller steps companies can take? Because it is a very daily part of your DNA. Like what are some things companies can do, individuals can do? Because it's not just leaderships, people that can do this. You know, I myself, I'm an immigrant to Sweden. I was born and raised in the US and I came here to Sweden. And it was really hard for me to break into the Swedish mindset. It took me a few years to make really good friends. So, I mean, my question to you is, what are some of the steps that companies can do to start making people feel included? It's a fantastic question. I'm, I'm going to jump straight back to Nicholas, just as as a sort of summary, summary of, of what you believe um, are actions that people can take or lessons that you think um, companies can can learn from um, and sort of answering as well Nicole's question on how companies can 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 explore this further in terms of breaking these walls down through a diverse work culture and, and bringing that through as an as an an innate thing um, for a company rather than something that's ticking a box what do you think Nicholas I think it's a really good uh, answer to the thoughts uh, regarding my question uh, and uh, what you said, Nicole. I think most of the work actually starts with the HR department uh, when it comes to these, and perhaps also even in, in the job ads uh, when you require people uh, that you need to start there. You need to, to write them in a certain way to actually attract the, the right people, or perhaps not the right people, but the people, not just the typical uh, person that you think should have that type of work. So you need to take a step back back perhaps and just uh, look with other pair of glasses, what do you say, uh, to find the right person or the right persons. Uh, so, yeah. Fantastic, fantastic. Maria, I'm gonna, I noticed that you, you I th well, having had many, many conversations with Maria, I know it's something this is an area uh, in terms of diverse work culture that she's extremely passionate about. So we'll go to you next, Maria. What are your thoughts? Thank you. And we have to make this podcast like five hours long. <laughs> Joking. Um, uh, yeah, so actually I have uh, thought about Nicole's question so many times in my life, which is what can what steps can we take as individuals and as organizations and as individuals in organizations to, to make things uh, easier for people to feel more included, but also to make sure that people do not intentionally or not intentionally exclude other people. Because most of the time, exclusion doesn't happen because people are mean. It happens because people aren't used to something different than what they're used to. And so I think, it, at least in the teams I've been part of and, and led in and been leading in, um, some of the things that really, really do work are uh, very basic uh, pieces of advice, like, you know, make sure that everybody's heard, which doesn't mean let everybody talk forever until everybody's exhausted, but make sure that even the most quiet ones in the room should be poked at some point and be asked, okay, what is it that you think, what is your opinion? Because that is usually, there are different types of personalities out there in the world. And sometimes the most vocal ones like mine can overwhelm the least vocal ones. And you know, the least vocal ones are the ones that tend to sacrifice themselves. So it is important to make sure that everybody feels not only heard, but also they also have the space to, to express themselves. And of course, safety, I'm sorry if there's any background noise. I'm very sorry about that. 
Um, I, but um, I think it is very, very relevant to make it safe for people to be able to propose ideas because um, in my experience, the environment where I have where I have really mostly the most benefited from diversity is where people don't feel like they should walk on eggshells in order to propose something they think is valuable, but they can just come out and say what they think. And, and they know that in that safe environment, they won't be shut down just be, because they won't be, so there won't be the association, you are stupid because your idea is stupid, but there won't even be the association between stupid is an idea. It would be just, this is an idea. It could work, it could not work. We can see it together, but there shouldn't be this sort of automatic um, sense of guilt uh, for expressing your opinions because you already self-censor yourself, yourself even before speaking because the environment you're in doesn't really allow you to be yourself as Nicole was saying before. And then of course, as a leader, you have to give your team member some ability to, to make their own decisions, some autonomy. If you're micromanaging people, rest assured, nobody will feel free to do whatever they think is necessary to do so. Um, there's, there's a lot of things that we can do, but I think the most important thing here is feedback. Give space for safe and, 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 and feedback that is not just safe, but also it's actionable, it's, it's timely, it's, it's not secondhand feedback, but really first-hand feedback. And, and also act on it. If you receive feedback, especially if you're a leader, make sure that whatever you receive, you work upon and show the results of that. I think these have been, in my personal experience, the most successful um, grounds for, for leveraging diversity in a, in a properly innovative and... Uh... Xenia, I'm going to come to you next. I'm really curious as to whether you have any thoughts or um, ideas on, on what companies can do to really champion a diverse work culture? Um, I think the safety element is definitely a part of it. Um, what I, I think is really interesting is the, the language in which leadership takes accountability over this topic. Like who is speaking and what, who are they saying? It? Although I, I think HR is a tremendously important function and in our company, you know, they're really championing such important values and doing amazing work. Um, and then all HR folks, I mean, I like, I totally adore. Um, but I also think it's very, very powerful to hear this message of inclusion being echoed and vulnerability around, around it. The fact that it's difficult to make changes, the fact that we don't always know how to do the best thing, that we're learning. Um, I think a lot of corporate cultures have this tendency to kind of shy away from difficult conversations because it is dangerous, because it's tricky, because it's uncomfortable. But it's important. And I think uh, I was just reading an article um, from this McKinsey study today, how folks are really quitting jobs. <laughs> folks are really, really quitting jobs in all these countries in the corporate world, but also service jobs. And one of the main reasons that they're leaving are not necessarily sort of the common things around work-life balance or uh, pay or being promoted and even opportunities. It's about connection with the managers. It's about feeling that you belong. It's about feeling um, in, that you work for a purpose that you believe in, uh, a meaning. Um, so I think that 
to me, when we are able to create these kind of safe environments where we're indexing for that type of purposeful, focused environment that is vulnerable, like Maria is saying, and that it is allowing for discussions that are deep, like this one, um, then it makes it much more likely that, that folks are actually included. The voices are going to get heard a little bit more. But for leaders, I think we have to be a, a lot more intentional about what, what we say, how do we represent this topic, how vulnerable we are, um, and, and kind of try to challenge other leaders to do the same uh, in, in our actions. Sean? I think it's spot on. I really think that that's a really nice way of putting things. Irfan, what, what are your thoughts on this? Well, this is what I work with every day, actually. Can you hear me? From, yeah, how to go from knowing to doing. And it's uh, the most difficult part, of course, because most companies knows a lot today what to do, but they doesn't actually make it happen in practice. So, so uh, to start with, I, I would like to be a little bit more... Uh, I, I mostly meet HR managers or HR directors, and I say to them, I'm going to help you from the responsibility on gender equality and diversity and inclusion. And I will put that responsibility on your leaders. Are you okay with that? Yes, I love that, they say. Because I think that if a company would like to have a real change, it couldn't be that everyone's pointing at HR and, and uh, well, wait for them to do the first step or wait for their business strategy, which is also about inclusion and diversity, because then it will take a long time and it will always be uh, seen upon as a project. This is not a project. This is daily business. We have to get it in all our processes. And that's why I think this is more a leadership responsibility today. And I, I challenge leaders mostly to say, if, if you don't put diversity and inclusion and, and, and uh, gender equality in your uh, leadership. You, you can't be manager for manager for, for, for maybe a couple of years from now, but then it stops. You will not manage to have that role if you don't put this into your leadership. So, so first of all, I think um, try to change this. Try to get the leaders to understand that they are actually the solution on, on this and, and also make them understand that uh, their way of walking and talking and be a role model is very important. This is something I, I met, a, I met uh, this morning um, a group of partners in a law firm and they didn't actually understand how much their behavior and what they, the signal was from them, how that actually affected uh, the culture in the company. So, so that will hopefully be changed from now. Uh, the other thing I think is that uh, I think that the unconscious bias training is is actually something that we in the Nordic companies are doing too 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 little. Actually, I, I think when you look at the US, they have done this for 10, 15, 20 years. I meet people here in Sweden who are, actually don't know what bias is. So, so that's something that I think is a good 
first, the low-hanging fruits, actually, to, to have real training in this. And then I think that there are people who say, well, I don't really believe on unconscious bias training because there are studies saying that this doesn't help. But there's also studies that, say, that says that if you train a group, like a management team or another team, together with unconscious bias, then it will be effective because then this group con can continue to work with this in the group and get better and better on this. But, but don't pick people from different companies or different uh, divisions in, in, a, in a company and put them together in a room and train unconscious bias, because then it might not be that effective. So, so that's two things. And then I, if I may continue, you have the inclusive, inclusive leadership, which is very much about micro habits. It, it, that's not rocket science. I mean, just let people talk, uh, see that everything, everyone is included in a meeting. Uh, I, I mean, that's very small things, actually. The, I mean, when I talk about inclusive leadership, I would like to raise it to the next level, which is called allyship, when it actually costs you something to take your privilege and transfer it to a, a person which is marginalized or not as that privileged as you. So that will be the next step. So my a little bit trend uh, uh, forward is that we will see leadership training, which is called allyship in the future. Uh, a lot of that, I think. Some really interesting points there um, from everyone. Nicole, what are your thoughts? I've been listening to everyone's sort of learned experiences. I'm really loving what I'm hearing. I think, you know, like Nicola said, it goes down to the language you choose in your ad. I mean, there's there's a lot to be said about an ad that has a certain language that can put people off. And I read a study that said that women are more likely to not apply for a job if they don't fill every single one of the criteria in an ad, whereas a man would probably apply for the same role with less experience. So I think it's all about the wording that you have and you can't uh, underestimate imposter syndrome. And you have to make sure that the wording that you use is so very helpful for the user that's saying, okay, I think I can actually do this job and be vulnerable enough to say that. And it's okay to make mistakes here. Like we're willing to help train you and we're hiring you the person. We assume that you're going to be able to do the job. That's why you're applying for this job. And we want you to be part of a team where we can help uh, help you feel like you're at the same level as everyone else. Like I like the idea of doing workshops and 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 team building and 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 all that stuff. But you have to actually make people feel like their ideas won't be considered dumb. I mean, there's no such thing as a bad idea. And I really liked and appreciate that, Maria. That you say that you know everyone should be able to give their ideas because when you do brainstorming sessions. That's when great things happen. You know, you, you spur creativity and you allow people to think outside the box. If someone feels like, oh, I can't say that, then all of a sudden you've just lost a great developer or a great leader wherever they're going in life. You've just cut them off at the knees. So I think that, you know, the, the magic happens when you make time to talk about this within your company. 
if it's really a true value for your company, you will make a conscious effort to make time for it. Tell people, oh, I hear you guys are speaking Swedish in a little group here. There's a person sitting next to you that doesn't understand what you're saying. Keep in mind, there's people listening that may not understand what you're saying right now. Make it a conscious effort every single day to include the people around you. Even if you're going on a fika break, invite everyone around you. Don't exclude people. Say, hey, let's take the you sitting there. I don't know you. Join me. Let's go have a fika together. It's the granular small things that make people feel like this is a safe space. I can make mistakes. It's okay. I can come up with great ideas. My ideas matter. And I think that's that's the overall goal of inclusion, isn't it? I think this ties in really, really nicely. Moving on to the next question um, that comes from, from Xenia, who asks and, and sort of makes the statement on building that robust team through, like everyone has just, just said there, through a focus on on personal goals in order to drive those individuals forward um, have those team rituals that are inclusive for everyone and coaching people through um, innovation and, and and allowing people to um, onboard properly with their personality at the very forefront of everything that they do. Um, Xenia do you want to do you want to just give us a bit more of a background on that? Sure yeah so um I was just sharing with Sean like some practices that I that I use in my team um, to kind of look at this a little bit from a different perspective around how to make somebody feel that they belong in a particular context, but also uh, help them take the opportunity, especially when they take a new job, to look back at their career and sort of restart it with a new purpose, whatever that might be. Also an opportunity for the manager to really have a deep uh, um, period of interaction with, with an individual to really get to know and understand them, where they're coming from, what challenges they had, what do they like to sort of show up as, what gives them energy, what drains them. And the way that I do this essentially is initially I focus with folks um, on really describing who they are in the, in the team. When they join a team, we'll do uh, operational manuals, which is basically when you take yourself and you're kind of sort of like an Ikea manual and you write about who you are, how do you operate, how do you communicate? And that starts out folks in this like really deep moment of reflection. They join a new company. We're not saying, hey, Let's just get you to work. Like, no, no, let's take a step back. Tell me who you are and how, what is your lived experience? And allows me as a manager to, to have that deep interaction about who they are. And then we look at sort of their skill set, but observationally from their point of view of what were their strengths and weaknesses in their past career. So before I have an opportunity to sort of look at what's happening here, to understand their perspective. And the reason this is important to me is because when folks start having challenges, which everybody does in a new company, new context, I want them to have like an awareness of what if this is not about me? It's about this new context that requires a new kind of adjusting and to have that self-empathy and positive self-talk from the beginning. Uh, um, and that kind of like reflection from the start allows us to do that. 
But then also uh, one thing about I ask people to do in that time in the period in the beginning is to, to, have, to write down their personal goals. And personal goals to me is not something that you do like a development plan. It's like, what are you here to do in like this company, but also for yourself as a professional? What is your um, goal, you know, in life here? And I find this absolutely fascinating because the first thing that happens to people is it takes them really several iterations. It's very difficult when your entire life you've been told sort of, you know, this is how you are a good son and daughter. This is how you are a good student. This is how you're a good employee. And some, suddenly somebody goes, who are you? What do you want from this job, right? And that process, those three, four, whatever, one-on-ones where we go deep dive into it, people really, really go deep and start questioning the things that they want to develop, which I really find is very important. That we develop ourselves, not from the point of view of like, everybody thinks I should be like this. I should be strategic. I should be this. I should have those skills. But to prioritize and focus on things that actually give you a sense of purpose and meaning. Um, and there's a lot of other elements to it, but this is sort of like the core and it starts the relationship between myself and director Forks in a, in a completely different place. When we start hitting challenges where I'm, I, I know where they're coming from and I'm able to find a way to, to help them kind of nurture their uh, purpose in the company. Um, and it, it, to me, it's also like when you talk about inclusion, it makes it so much easier to have that step. Uh, we also do this as a team. So every time somebody new comes into the team, we re-recalibrate. We're now a new set of people, right? Um, and these operational manuals and this discussions help us kind of get to know the person. And that has been very, very valuable way. Every person in my team is coming from a different country different level of experience so it's like uh yeah anyway that's my little two cents no it's a it's a fantastic outlook on on how to enable people in teams for me um urban what do you think now just quickly to to step in and say that one of the most important uh, uh, <clears throat> Uh, uh, things that that characterize a good inclusive leader is actually to be curious, and I think that's what you're saying, Senia. That being curious is, is uh, you 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 come a long way with just being curious. So that was just to 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 agree with you and, and uh, just say that yes, I think we are underestimated that uh, skill actually. And also, I'm sorry, Rabbi, but also spending the right to, to focus in on the things that matter. I think there, as leaders, we have things flying in our face all day long, right? And if we don't make space for those interactions and those deep learnings about people, it's very, very difficult to facilitate that safety. Um, so that's something that has been sort of uh, a question in my mind is how do we keep the space uh, to have this deep understanding of people as they come into an organization, which is uh, one in a, a role opportunity, right? Like it, it, then it's here and then it's gone. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Maria, what are your thoughts? 
Yes, I feel like we're getting closer and closer to to what really psychology is all about. And I think there is very little of it in business nowadays. And probably that's where the focus should definitely move forward in the upcoming years. Because um, if we get to better understand what are the things that move us as human beings, what are the archetypes that are behind, like you were saying, Zinia, like, you know, you have been told how to be a good daughter, a good son, a good uh, wife, a good husband, and all of these roles that are nothing but archetypes that we have built as a society. Um, I think that if becoming a leader was, uh, had a mandatory step of better understanding human nature, we would probably be less unsatisfied at work on a general level. And uh, to add up to what Urban was saying, that curiosity is key, I think it's absolutely true. And together with that, empathy probably is, uh, or even better compassion, even is what, what can help a leader or a teammate just better understand where anybody else they're working with comes from. Um, that's something I, I myself have experienced in not necessarily always positive ways and, and has taught me a lot. Like, you know, being being on the side of who's not being listened to, who's been excluded, has pushed me more and more to be the opposite of that. Where do you stand on this, Nicole? I think I resonate a lot with what you are talking about, Zinia. Um, we do the same thing in my teams, and, and it is exactly as you say, you have to meet people where they are, right? You have to know that not everybody is a round peg going into the square hole, and you have to understand, you know, when I come to them as a PM, I ask them, you, what do you need from me in order to learn best? What is your communication tools? What is your love language, so to speak? How do I share my information with you, and how do we communicate better? Um, you have to understand where they are today. And that's very important if you want to build a team so everyone understands where everyone is at. So we do the same thing. We, we reset. Anytime we get a new person in the team, we do a reset as well. And I think that, you know, some of the most rewarding experiences that I've had as a manager has been helping other people find a different path within the company. And if they came to me and said, you know what, I'm not happy with my role right now. I'd like to try something new. I'd say, great. What do you want to try? What can I help you with? How do we get you there? And we come up with a plan and we come up with short term goals and long term goals because I'd rather them stay in the company and be happy than stay in my team and be unhappy and miserable in a job that they didn't like and didn't feel fulfilled in. So part of my job is also helping them get there. And hopefully they'll stay with me. <laughs> but that's not the goal. The goal is that they are feeling like I have a chance to try something new. And I think that that's super valuable when you're when you're getting to know the people within your team. And that creates vulnerability. That creates um, a relationship between you and your team. That it, it it's it means everything to me when it comes to team building. So this resonates a lot with me and I appreciate what you're doing. And I'm going to take some of these tips back with me. <laughs> Actually, I like the IKEA thing. That was funny. That's very much the purpose of this, to, to take away learnings as well. And, and everyone can do that. Nicholas, I'm really, really curious on, on where you stand on this and what your experiences of 
of enabling people's personalities and, and people enabling yours so direct reports and then people that you report to directly as well. How have you found that throughout your career? Uh, I must start with saying I think a very, very nice and uh, interesting answer that you all gave here to these questions. Uh, like Nicole, I think it would take this with me back to my work. Uh, but to motivate people, or since I come from a software uh, business, um, it's quite often that developers and engineers get bored with what they do. And they get, a, they get a task, they have to do that and then deliver it and then go on to next next task and next task. And it's kind of, they get stuck basically in some kind of wheel. So I found that one good way to make people want to do more fun things and the, the work is that you just set the goal. This has to be done until then. You have that you can uh, select a path yourself. You can try it a new language if you want to. You can do in a different approach. You can use some kind of uh, external uh, libraries for some kind of other cool parts uh, that you can use. So I think you have to use trust uh, to, the, uh, to the people that you work with that they will be able to solve this um, uh, uh, ticket or task uh, in that, uh, their own uh, way of doing it. And that will make people want to stay in the company because they feel uh, that they're actually achieving something in their own way. Uh, and also have clear uh, boundaries and clear goals. Uh, I think it's very, very nice to, to have some startup meeting every morning to just uh, to get some new routines and keep going. Then you can have some chaos during the day. And then the next morning you start over again just to make sure everyone is aligned and everyone knows what to do. I think that that's a create a good environment. Um, yes. I completely agree. And finally, we're going to change direction a little bit um, and ask a, a broader question, uh, which comes from Urban, who asks, why do we focus in industry on diversity when inclusion is the more challenging part? So Urban, tell me a bit more about that and then we'll work our way around the room. I think we have covered a bit of that because I think that uh, the solution on this, what we are discussing now actually, is the inclusion part. And if we don't have the inclusion part, it doesn't matter actually how much diversity we have or how many people we have in the organization who have different perspectives or, or skills or background and so on. Because we have to get rid of all the barriers and hinders that is within an organization and mostly people don't know about them because they are so hidden and the people are um, maybe not acknowledge them either but, but uh, again uh, unconsciously, we, we are accepting them. So, so again, it's about being more aware of our unawareness or more conscious about our, our unconsciousness, because that's the trick, actually. And there are some, some um, good tools to get rid of, of this, actually, so, so that you will be more aware. And one easy trick is that you have to be, you have to admit that you are biased. That's the first step. Okay, everyone is biased. And the next step is actually that you are open with your your um, uh, with your team and your your other colleagues in the company that this is what what can happen to everyone. It can happen to me. And if it happens to me, please call out on me and tell me when it happens. And that's also a way of well coming forward in this because it's it's uh, a lot of. Um, 
well, silence about this. It's, uh, I mean, you started to say that no one is actually mean by purpose. Well, maybe few, but very few people in the world are. They don't wake up in the morning and say, this, this day are we going to discriminate everyone I see and I'm going to exclude every person I will meet. And that's very few people. So most of us are not doing this on purpose. And talking about this in groups, that will help groups to go, grow and, and get rid of these biases, actually. It's a really good point. Xenia, I want to come to you first. Um, I'm intrigued on, on your thoughts here. I have a lot of spicy thoughts uh, about th this topic, but I, I'll, I'll tamp my, my spiciness down. Um, I think one of the key things is like looking at it a little bit anthropologically, like take the US, for example, like one of the reasons that we have sensitivity training, gender bias training and all these things every year for every single individual working in tech companies uh, is, you know, we have this like lawsuit stuff, right? So that's where it started, right? That the, the people didn't want to get sued, the companies didn't want to get sued. And so they started these like practices around trainings, right? But unintentionally, it ended up being uh, a fairly positive thing. I think one of the elephants in the room in Sweden and Scandinavia in general is that, you know, these are fairly homogenous societies, right? And uh, very um, new to working in international complex organizations with people like me with spicy thoughts and so on. Uh, it's so homogenous sometimes as an external person coming from a different country, you see people speaking in the same way and behaving in similar ways. And you're coming from an ur urban environment before I was like so shocked when I first came to, to Sweden. But I think um, a first step for inclusion is to admit that this is actually a challenge in Sweden for this reason. And that, that we have to sit in that, you know, that this is, um, I don't want to say a handicap, but certainly like a, a new thing that we're doing here in the in the past 15 years, particularly when you have all these unicorns and you bring in all this insane diversity suddenly to, for example, Sweden, um, things have changed. What, what we're required to do as leaders in Sweden has changed. Um, but what I'm not hearing often is that first step, which is this is difficult because this is new. And that is very similar in dynamic also to the US when we we're really, really sensitive around talking about white privilege, you know, and it's a spicy topic. Uh, and all the immigrants sitting like rolling their eyes and their heads, right? They don't, they don't necessarily say something or feel comfortable. So to me, this is like one of the things that we can do as leaders, if we're really brave, is to say, this is new, wow, like this is, I'm trying and I'm working hard on this and I want to understand more and I want to be humble. I, mean, I think that that is a huge, when I hear this from white men, urban like yourself, I'm extremely filled with happiness and joy just to know that this is happening, but from everyone really, even people of color, people who come from diverse backgrounds. I love the spicy thoughts and I love how many times we, we went through those spicy thoughts. Maria, inclusion is a challenge. Where do you stand on it? Well, inclusion is a challenge in the measure that um, 
you decide that it is not. So um, I think it inclusive in it, it's it's a basic human need to feel like you belong, to feel included. Um, I would challenge anyone to to say anything else. It, there isn't we, we are social. We are we we need to feel like we are listened to, we are appreciated and and we are not um, excluded or or isolated from uh, from what where you know the, the group where we want to belong to uh, is. And I think that ignoring uh, or not ignoring, but not putting the right level of attention to this need, which is not a need that someone has because they are in this specific role or someone has because they are in this specific country. There is a need just because we are human beings that are born to this world. Um, I think that putting more focus. On, uh, on 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 understanding that it's not a um, you know a whims of people, but it is a need that might might shift the focus in uh, in in the way that leaders really, but uh, not only leaders, really in the way that anyone works every day, in the way that parents pa do parenting, in the way that everyone does anything in any role they have, and. Um, one thing that about, about Xenia's spicy thoughts, like I was rolling my eyes too, because I myself am an immigrant and I also had my share of, of, of shock um, when moving to Sweden and I'm moving to Sweden. I, I moved to Sweden from a, another European country. So I, I thought the shock wouldn't be as um, similar to yours as, it, as, as you described, but it seems like it's, it's, it's kind of Sweden is it's, it's a very specific and, uh, and unique place where, as you said, there's a lot of homogeneity and uh, Sometimes one thing that I have experienced the most in pretty much every single job I've had in Sweden is that at times just the different way one expresses themselves uh, might be read as conflict. And when, when conflict comes into the, into the picture, Sweden, Swedish leaders that have not been trained uh, uh, towards uh, acknowledging it and, and, and going beyond their bias might perceive that as something terrifying that they don't want to deal with and they would rather just go hide in the closet <laughs> than, than talk about it. And, and conflict per se, I mean, even using the word conflict might be uh, misguiding. It's, it's sometimes it's just an exchange of ideas that can turn into something really negative if the mindset is that of not listening but being afraid of it rather than trying to understand where the other one's coming from. Please stop me because I can continue. <laughs> Nicholas, what what are your thoughts on on this this aspect of how we can be more inclusive and the importance of it? I, I think it is something that has to go from the top of every company down to everyday action. Uh, it, it, it can't just be that the top management say that we need to be more inclusive. It also has to be uh, small small actions that takes everybody. Like someone mentioned it before that uh, everyone should be included when it's a coffee break or uh, in sorry that was some kind of notification and if there is some kind of uh, activity after work someone everyone should be included as well. So I, I think it also depends on what kind of company work for the size of it. Uh, I, for instance, a previous company I worked for, we had like 50 nationalities, something like that. And uh, the management there, they all looked like, yeah, me and Urban, I can say. Uh, so, <laughs> But uh, still, I think it, this they, they did some pretty good work with uh, get people more included. And uh, they did 
uh, people got promoted, not just because uh, where they come from, but because it did a really, really nice work. And uh, that actually sent some signals to other uh, people that, that uh, joined from other parts of the country that you can actually made it there. So that could be one way of doing it to show some examples of uh, people have done great work. It actually it goes well. Urban. I'm no, sorry. I just wanna, uh, sorry. <laughs> I, I've just gone wrong there. I'll speak to the tech guys. You need to edit me out there. Edit me out. Um, Nicole, I, I completely forgot there. So let's start again. Nicole, what do you think um, about this, this particular area? Well, I want to normalize spiciness in the company because <laughs> I have been so spicy throughout my career that it's gotten me into so much trouble. But you know what? I'd rather be the person that speaks up for myself and for other people and and say the things that I truly believe are right than not say anything at all. These are things that I believe in. So of course I'm going to say them. So it came to a point where, you know, even in Sweden and and coming from America, I you know I was also used to certain ways and norms being kind of the norm, but coming to Sweden, I was also kind of shocked with maybe some of the biases that I experienced. So uh, after a while, I started to realize that I was editing myself. As a female in tech, um, when I write my emails, should I add that smiley so they think that I'm being a nice or not being demanding or some maybe more derogatory terms. But you know, when I started to realize that I'm editing myself, I started to ask myself, am I doing this because I want them to like me or am I doing this because I want them to take me seriously? And that when I realized that I, I stopped and I just said to myself, you know what? I'm just gonna be myself. I know my value. I know that I'm a good person. I know that I mean well. So if I'm spicy, I'm sorry, not sorry. <laughs> so I think that you should not apologize for being yourselves. And yeah, it's sometimes very tough being a woman in tech and being taken seriously, but I'd much rather stand up for myself and stand up for everyone around me that is undervalued or underestimated and make sure I keep pushing that door open because that's the only way to get progress. That's that. <laughs> I completely agree. Urban, your final thoughts on this? No, I would just to conclude, say that there are so many clever people here in the room to hear from. And I think that if we can inspire some companies listening to this, uh, I think that would be great because we we don't need to make this so difficult, make it simple and try. I mean, when I have workshops, I usually say that, OK, now after lunch, when we have met now and discussed this for three hours, after lunch, go out and do something differently. It, it could be that easy, actually. So, so don't make it difficult. Don't do any big plans, which is uh, uh, three years from now and put targets, which is actually not necessary, if you ask me. Just do it because we all know what we have to do and, and uh, use your inclusive leadership and, and also all, all colleagues as well. So don't make it difficult, make it simple. We'll leave it there for today. This has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. I want to take this opportunity to thank everyone, Nicole, Maria, Urban, 
Xenia and Nicholas providing their insights into the topic and, and thank you all for listening too. Um, if you'd like to get involved in one of our upcoming podcasts, just reach out to me via LinkedIn or by email at sean.hughes at evolution-nordics.com and I'll see you next time.